I'm Michael Elkin, and welcome to episode 23 of Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. This week, Jeff and I sit down with former New England Patriot and Philadelphia Eagle Ellis Hobbs. Ellis takes us inside the Patriots' defensive huddle and on the sideline for the adjustments that help the Patriots defeat the Broncos at Mile High Stadium. Ellis also gives us a preview of the Patriots-Raiders games and helps to dissect what the problems are that brought the New York Giants to a 1-8 season. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 23 of Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode 23, Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. This is Michael Elkins coming to you from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I am here with my co-host, Jeff Kamenetsky. Jeff, what's going on tonight? Mike, how you been, man? What's doing? I've been great. You know, I just got back from my um, my group, all like 30 of us that hang out down here, our Friendsgiving dinner, so I'm full. I'm happy. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's better when you're fed. It's, it's a better it's show better when, when, yeah. when you're fed. You hey, know I, mean? I had a I had a very heavy training session today, and I saved all my food for after my heavy training session. I told my coach, make today heavy because um, I've got a big Friendsgiving dinner tonight. So heavy snatches, heavy clean and jerks, and then I got to eat, um, which was great. So a couple notes here, everybody. Going to do things a little differently tonight. Know this day in sports. Um, Jeff and I are actually in separate locations because we've got this great new software that I found. Pat on the back to me, uh, where we can actually podcast from different locations. And we have with us from the beginning of the show from Atlanta, Georgia, um, our new weekly guest, former New England Patriot and Philadelphia Eagle, Ellis Hobbs. Ellis, how are you tonight? Doing good, doing good, doing good. (laughs) Crowd brings me in. That's right. You know, I need to get, you know what I need to do? I have to get some, I need, I need some music. Yeah, we need a sound effect. I think Ellis needs a sound effect. Yeah, yeah. I was cheerleaders listening. or something. Yeah, something. Something has to give. We uh I yeah. think they might they might overuse it a little bit, but it's funny when I listen to uh Jalen Rose and uh I can't remember the other guy on the podcast, but they use a lot of sound bites and stuff and so it keeps you kinda entertained, but uh, yeah. nothing too corny. Nothing too corny. Nothing too corny. I'll I'll come up with something good. Uh, one of the things I did learn is how to cut audio in and out. Um and so I play around with that a lot. So for the next show I will have something good. Hey, Michael, um, quick, uh, quick thing. What is yes. what exactly is Friendsgiving? Because that's the second time I've heard that today. What is that? Is that just a, like <laughs> yeah. gifts? Is that like the mini no. Christmas? No, no. It's um, well. If you go to my Instagram, I just posted a photo of it. We all get okay. together, and everybody brings food. Um, you know, usually the guys bring booze and the girls bring food. Sorry, nice. everybody, but that's how it works. Nice. Um, and we all get together. There's usually like thirty or forty of us, and we eat, we drink. We talk, we hang out, we catch up, we make fun of each other. Um, we do it every year. And we do, we do Friends Miss, which is our secret Santa every year as well. That's different. We do that usually the night that they do SantaCon here in Fort Lauderdale. I don't know if you're familiar with SantaCon, but it's basically a night where everyone dresses up as Santa and goes out. Oh, man. So, yeah, and so a lot, our a lot seek- of weird stuff going on. A lot of weird, <laughs> a lot of weird stuff. stuff. It's South Florida, man. It's all kinds of strange stuff. All right. And our... Our secret Santa is usually um, we make sure that the gifts are, uh, you know, over PG-13 gifts <laughs> to make fun of each other. Oh. All right. yeah, so it's it's, it's good, a lot of fun. I, um, but f- go ahead. No, go ahead. Somebody was going to say something. No. So first things first, though, Ellis, I think we have an announcement, right? I think okay. we have to talk about your first 
championship coaching win. Am I right? Yes. A little, little shout out to the Alpharetta Raiders. Correct. Second correct. Year. Am right I right? Tell, the uh, flag football champions. Tell us a little about that. Man, so, um, you know, we, we started the season off uh, pretty much with the youngest team, I believe, uh, youngest kids. I know I had a first grader as well who wanted to move up. So I've pretty much been coaching now. While I was in the NFL, uh, started when I was in Philly and then um, continued on. I actually um, Little League umpired when I was in college to make a couple extra bucks. So I've been around, you know, kid functions, or sports or organized events for quite some time. But this year was so fulfilling. One, obviously, because um, my son is of age, uh, eight years old now, and this is his second year. But then also the kids that I had on the team, I would say at least 75% of them, this was their first year. Uh, athleticism, amazing. You, you could just tell that right. there was a lot of kids that were very athletically gifted, but the fundamentals, the, the knowledge, anything of that sort was not there. And so we started the season off 0-2, and I literally trained them, and you can ask parents, I trained them the exact same way that I trained in the offseason, you, you know, from, from running, consistent running all the time, um, sit-ups, push-ups. Um, just whatever it was that That's I great. did, I just really tried to push them and push them to the brink. And the thing I, that I did differently was as much energy as I gave them on a kind of forceful trial by fire nature is as much energy I gave them from an encouragement and we can do it. And right. so my, my right. big three things when I coach, when I do any motivational speaking, corporations, whatever, is listen, attitude and effort has nothing to do with skill, has nothing to do with talent. You give me those three things, we're going to find a way to win. And so we started off 0-2. Right. Um, nobody really got down and out, none of that. Continued to roll on, and then all of a sudden the wins just started happening, happening, and then we got very consistent. And then we rolled into the playoffs. I told them, and I, tra I treated it just like we when we were in New England, when we were in Philadelphia. It was cold and raining a couple times. I told them uh, amongst the week that, hey, already know this going into the game it will be raining it will be cold so get that out of your head right now uh man <laughs> did, did you I'm did sorry? you pull a belichick and like start spraying the ball with the hose I've heard absolutely <laughs> absolutely absolutely i, I go I with what i know that's I go great with what i know i wet the ball up we were snapping it. it with the ball wet um we had the kid the, our running backs and receivers they were handling the ball wet and we did everything just like that. And then getting to the uh, throughout the playoffs, getting to the championship game, man, it actually came down to overtime, 12-12. Uh, oh, wow. uh, my quarterback did a quarterback draw on the goal line, and we ended up winning. And if you go to my Instagram, I believe my Instagram is what? Yeah, Ellis, I saw it. Yeah, EH3 or whatever it is. But we're celebrating as if we've won the big one, the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I mean, you see parents going crazy. And I think the most fulfilling thing, beyond the kids was to see how involved the parents got because if you saw them from the beginning you know it was kind of that suburban life right where they look at it as yeah my kid plays sports but let's let's be real it's, it's more of a daycare like my kid gets to get out here run around whatever but i don't think they expected for me to pour that much energy and my coaching staff to pour, pour that much energy and time into these kids and so once they saw that the parents they're running all throughout the field and i think the topper of everything was my my brother who's a coach with me, had the crazy idea of, hey, man, if we're going to really do this thing, let's do it. I said, okay, that's what I expected to do anyways. He said, no, 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 let's go to the store and get 
sparkling grape juice so that when we win this thing <laughs> we're spraying it everywhere uh, and so that. we said you know what if we do this let's let's hide it because i don't want us to look like the buffoons that end up losing and we got sparkling grape juice but when we won we got it out man sprayed it everywhere the parents didn't have any idea the kids didn't have any idea and the opponent I, and i know this because i would have did it i would have looked at them like man like these idiots i can't believe you know they're just <laughs> over the top with it but we didn't really care because we had put so much time, effort, and energy into that entire season, man. And, and the way that we celebrated was, was so fitting and fulfilling. So, yeah, we had a great time uh, this year. We were actually sad at the end because we had been together for so long. And it's like, oh, crap, this has to end. So uh, we treated yeah. it like a regular season professionally. That's, that's excellent. It's a great story. I, yeah. I, I know how rewarding it could be. I've had daughters that I've coached to, to a winning season and champion. And it's one of the most rewarding things when, when you see the kids – uh, and their parents, and it all finally comes together, and you see the the looks on on the kids' faces after a, a successful season, or even a not successful season. But it's it's very very rewarding. So yeah, uh, I mean, let's keep it real. Kids are really looking forward to snacks and juice boxes. Absolutely. And so when man. you get to give them a trophy at the end, that actually oh, means God. something. First place that yeah, they earned. That they earned yeah, exactly. That they earned. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Tr- tremendous well, con- feeling. Congrats. Congratulations to you, your son, and the entire team. Um, so we're gonna move on here. Let's get into Patriots Broncos. We've got a, a, a bunch of th- different things to get to here. Um, look, this was, from my perspective, and probably I think a lot of other people's, New England's most complete win, um, offense, defense, special teams, in particular special teams, um, which is what we're going to focus on first. So Belichick is famous for emphasizing special teams. In fact, I've, I listened to all his press conferences and all his conference calls with the media, and usually at least once a week there is five to seven minutes from him about deep into special teams or even the opponent. Um, And he talks a lot about when he was a special teams coach, I think with Detroit many years ago. Um, First question is, you know, did you experience that in new England? And second, you know, how does bill do that? Because we saw special teams on Sunday. That that was the key to the whole game, frankly. Yeah, yeah, Um, it really was. Um, I think that because special teams is what it is within the word is special, but I think it's taken or underestimated and taken for granted very much because, you know, a lot of the money, a lot of the notoriety, the camera action, whatever you want to call it, really focuses in predominantly the offense and then I would say defense and then special teams, of course. But anytime you see a a huge momentum swing, um, anything of that sort, you know, a letdown, it's normally coming from special teams. Sure. So – for people to take it so lightly, but then it weighs so heavily on the game, you would actually think that people with folk or coaches or coaching staffs would focus much more onto it. But Bill has always been like that since day one. If you really look at the New England Patriots, you know, historically, a lot of the success of, of the New England Patriots comes from the special teams, but it really orients from defense to where you see a lot of yeah. guys starting off on, on special teams working their way through the system, getting that opportunity, whether it's someone getting hurt, um, someone, you know, suspended, someone leaving the team, and then all of a sudden they become, you know, that next guy in line on defense, but they really originated from special teams. And so the way that Bill coaches it is, is exactly as such to where he really wants you to understand that it is literally a third of the game and that if you can execute making the plays on special teams. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big play. With Bill, the big plays are actually a bonus. By just doing what you're supposed to do on special teams, because it's such a huge momentum swing, the snap of the ball, the punt, the kickoff, going down, you know, 
tackling those guys within the 20, whatever it is, not getting any penalties, that alone sustains what special teams is supposed to be maintaining the game, um, moving field position like a chess match. Right. And yeah. So he's continually doing those types of things. But, yeah, heavily, heavily em- emphasized in New England. And and we saw that Sunday, you know, you, you talked about the, the use of various players, offense or defense to special teams. I mean, you have Rex Burkhead, who, you know, had a great game on offense, caught a few balls, yep. was, 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 a, was a killer in the running game, and then also had the blocked punt. And I feel like you don't see that around the league. I feel like New England is the team where you see you, – you could see your star or your, your really solid offensive or defensive player on special teams and playing um, – Either offense or defense. Absolutely, I know in 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 our playoff era or when we were in the playoffs and things, I was actually very surprised as a rookie to see once we got into the playoffs, you know, a lot of our starters were were on special teams, kickoff, kickoff return, or whatever. Right. And it just kind of showed me, like, man, all all hands on deck. You know, here we are. This is the moment. You know, it's now or never. And so for them to take, you know, that action. And um, how they've continued on doing so throughout the years. Once again, it yeah. just continually emphasized how special special teams is. No pun intended. <laughs> okay, second point. There was not a lot of not a lot of downs for New England in this game. This was a pretty thorough victory. But one of the at least downs in the media and what I've heard from fans was Malcolm Butler. Butler mm-hmm. was assigned to Emmanuel Sanders. Sanders had a bunch of catches. He had over a hundred yards. And so the talking points have been that it was not a good game for Butler. I remember watch. I watched the game in real time, and I thought, man, it doesn't look like Malcolm's getting beat. So when I got back to Florida, I watched the game actually in Washington D.C. I got back to Florida. I watched the coaches' film from from the NFL, and at least on my untrained eye, it didn't look like Butler got torched. He looked to be there on most plays. It just looked like osweiler either made a good throw or sanders just made a great catch and there was one play where butler just went to swap the ball away and he was there he just missed it um so i kind of took a different view i thought i don't think butler had a, a bad game as so much as osweiler and sanders when they connected they, they just made good plays but you tell me am i crazy did butler get shredded i mean what's the deal there well here's some breaking news that somebody might not have known Emmanuel Sanders and Brock Osweiler are actually NFL players, and <laughs> right. they're very good. <laughs> yeah, so, that's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, so we, I know uh, you know it, it boggles my mind with with some of these, um, I guess, fans and the way that they question professional players as if they're not playing against other professional players. Right. right. And so when you're right. talking about Emmanuel Sanders, who is very really good, very, yeah, very good at his position and what he does, Brock Osweiler, eh, you know, he ate. The sun shines on everybody. Yeah. But Emmanuel Sanders, and, and to your point of those plays in the game, Butler's right there, you know, right. just making those plays. And so when you're talking about those those types of situations, we call them 50-50 balls where the ball's up in the air and, you know, one it's, it's going to go one way or another. And it just didn't happen for Butler. But that doesn't mean that he had a bad game because they still ended up with 16 points. And so if you right. talk about, you know, with Bill and what does he emphasize? The scoreboard. <laughs> and, and, you know, sure. I don't care if a guy, and it, it goes back to what type of talent is, is Bill recruiting to where guys can come in, you know, 500 yards a game, whatever it is, a running back, wide receiver, whatever. But if you're not putting those points on the board or you're detrimental to the team, you're, you're of no value. And so it's kind of that bend, don't break uh, mentality. 
uh, with with guys with that with that much star power. We talked about this last week to where you just understand going into the game that that caliber of, of player, that, those weapons, they're gonna get their yards. They're gonna get this whatever it is. But if you're maintaining the game, you're forcing them to 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 sustain long drives and drive the ball down the field. Once again, as I said last week, the the Patriots are not necessarily built to come back. But what I didn't um, go into is that from a talent perspective, the Broncos aren't built to sustain. They're they're a very hit them hard team where you know they got big time players. They're looking for big time plays, and those types of plays are what they've made their bread and butter on, made their money on. For sure. them, for for Emmanuel Sanders to have that yardage, yeah, clap clap, bravo. But did it? What did it do for the entire game? Nothing, as we can right. see. Yeah, and and I, I felt like, like you said, Malcolm was there on every play. It wasn't like Sanders had three or four steps on him every play. It, it looked like every play was contested, and he just he just made good plays at the yeah, end. Yeah, and, and and Butler can't he can't sit on his laurels and and say that you know I, I'm content with this game. But at the same time, you don't beat yourself up over this. You go back to the film room, you look at those plays, and like, all right, what what small step. What hand movement, what my eye placement, whatever it is that I could have done to make that play, because it's a simple tweak. You know, you don't want to go sure. into the middle of the season now that we're we're so deep in, it, and all of a sudden you're rearranging your whole defense because one game, uh, you know, supposedly goes awry for Butler, or you don't want to sit there and adjust your your entire game. You know, as from a, from an individual perspective, say, well, maybe I need to change, you know, my approach. No, no, no. You just go back in, see where you could have made those plays, and you continue to play. And from from the fans' point of view, my perspective, I actually think Butler did very well. You know, the guy is amazing uh, on his side of the ball. He's done so well over the years. I still don't understand why the man hasn't got paid, but um, his effort, <laughs> his ability to 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 continue on. I uh, I think it was what three weeks ago they played the Chargers. And yeah. for him to, to to chase down Melvin Gordon the way he did, even I, though he did score yeah. that touchdown. I mean, man, the I guy's that was a giving, great play. Yeah, amazing play, man. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't look too much into that. You know, obviously you're going to have the fans, you know, talking one way or another. But you know, from an inside perspective, I don't really see that as a uh, oh my gosh, you know, we need to change some things. Well, that does lead me to this question, though. Assuming that a wide a, a cornerback is or a DB is having a tough time with a wideout in a game, what goes on on the sideline there? You know, what's what are the coaching points? What do they say? You know, has that ever happened to you where you had to sit with either, whether it's your, your, uh, is it the, would there be a, the corners coach, right? Or the D coordinator and say, look, these are the adjustments you need to make. Like, how does that go down on the sideline between plays? Yeah. You know, you get on the phone, you, you either get on the phone and, and like I said, a different vantage point, you know, what is the, what is the coach seeing up in the box? If you're, if your DB coach is in the box. And then of course, you know, once the head coach gets involved because of, Bill's uh, defensive background, he was always very in tune with that side of the ball. I remember when we were in uh, San Diego during the regular season, and I was having um, some trouble guarding. I can't remember who it was, but uh, some 50-50 balls were going up, some back shoulder phase, whatever it was. And it basically comes down to, and this is what Bill said to me directly, like, hey, we just got to make the play. We got to make plays. And so when, when something like that is happening, I'm pretty sure it didn't get into depth as far as a film room session, it's literally looking at Malcolm and Just saying, make the play. yeah, we got to make these plays. Cause like, like you said, Michael, he's right there. He's right yeah. there. It's not like he's five yards off. That's when you're coaching and you're saying, you know, what the hell is going on? You know, you're not even in the, you're not even in the camera angle when the guy's catching the ball, but for him to be right there, I think it was a back shoulder fade where it was underthrown. He turns around. Um, I think, 
probably the next best thing he could have done was probably squeeze him a little bit more to the sideline. But the guy, uh, Emmanuel, undercut him and came back for the ball. That was yeah. just a hell of a play by Emmanuel. I mean, I agree. you're not talking about a receiver that just came off the street here. We're talking about a, an all-pro guy who made an all-pro play. So you, you're going to make yours. He's going to make his. You just got to make sure at the end of the day that the scoreboard reads right for your side. And right. that over the long haul, you're making more plays than not to balance that thing out. Now, going to a, a different situation on defense, when Denver did score their touchdown, you could see there was a clear communication issue between Deron Harmon and Stephon Gilmore. Mm. I mean, it was so obvious that, that, that Harmon went up to Gilmore you know, in the end zone, and, and you could see there was a – it looked like to be a heated discussion, but clearly – Hated. Yeah, they were they – were, it was – clearly Harmon was, looked like telling Gilmore, like, listen – Something bad happened here. We don't know what it was exactly. Right. Um, I was listening to May, Gerard Mayo on a podcast yesterday, and he said he said he didn't like that. He said the same thing you said, that he wouldn't have done it that way. He would have waited until the sidelines. Um, in fact, he told a story about an 08, I think when you were still with the Patriots as well, that Rodney mm-hmm. Harrison was sort of famous for, for <laughs> maybe, maybe, make, maybe doing that on the field too. Um, what are your thoughts on how that should be handled? Um, sideline? Do you, do you talk to him right away? I mean, what's the deal there? Yeah, no matter the emotion in the game, what's currently going on, I've always tried to address myself as a professional. And when you start to point fingers and blame, I remember there was a situation where we had a new uh, new safety uh, against Kansas City. And it was a cover one, I believe, and I undercut it the route, you know, because he was going towards the safety on a post route. And so it, the guy ended up scoring. And after the game, you know, the the um, uh, news media was talking to me about, you know, what that safety said and how I should have did this, I should have did that. And it just really took me back because it's like, man, like really, you know, regardless whose fault it is, you know, you never want to involve the media into a, a he say she say battle and divide the team more, more so you don't want to do it publicly in the camera's eye on the field yeah. right after the moment i mean that's such a an emotional time and probably beyond that being my biggest pet peeve the other one is when the camera is actually following the guy who's chasing the guy into the end zone right 90 percent of the time that's not the guy who's fault. <laughs> yeah, it's not even his right. fault but you know, from 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 everybody else's viewpoint, it's like, oh man, like the, the touchdown got, got scored beat. or whatever. Yeah, he got beat, and so I'm not surprised. You know, I, I think we were off camera, uh, offline. You know, talking about a couple situations that I had been in. You know, with uh, with Rodney or whatever. I mean, that was just his mo. But you know, you you live and learn, um, and you deal with those types of things. But me per, me personally, I never like to do those type of things, and I and I definitely know a lot of individuals. Who, who disagree with, or I say individuals, players, who disagree with that mo- uh, model as well. When you, when you talk about, you know, whatever adjustments need to be made, you do that on the sideline and you keep it there. But for right now, right. We are, we're on to the next play. Okay. But on the sideline, you'd sit down and say, look, this." you'd go over the play, you know, with that player and say, look, this is what happened. This is the breakdown, I'm assuming. Yeah, you're trying to break it down because what you're trying to do is allow the emotion to get out the way. So obviously when you're on the field and the next best thing that happens or the next thing that happens is, you know, touchdown, boom, field goal. You know, within that, you're trying to get what, you know, a, a, a good conversation within a 20-second moment. So when you get on the sideline, you probably have that TV commercial. You have that kickoff. Offense has to go out there. It's just way more calm. 
And so whatever you're trying to get across can be communicated way more clearly and it can be received a lot differently on the sideline. Whereas on the field, you, I mean, let's be real. You're embarrassed. The guy that gets the touchdown or whoever right. the mistake is on, you're embarrassed. So you get very insecure and very defensive. When you're on the sideline, you feel more protected. There's people around. The cameras might not necessarily be on you the entire time. And so in your mind, you're just re- way more prepared and ready to receive what information you need. So those are always the best times to adjust because you're going to make the adjustment. The coach is going to bring up, you know, the, the, uh, the iPad to you to, to look at these things to go over. Hey, here's the adjustment we need to make, regardless of whose fault it is. Let's get back out here and let's correct it. But when you're on the field, beyond just yelling or saying it's your fault, I mean, what can you really do right after that moment? Nothing. Sure. So it's pointless. Okay. Um, that, that's really, that's actually good insight. Um, technical football questions. We're going to kind of geek out here a little bit. Okay. Let's geek out. Nerd out. <laughs> let's nerd geek out. out. Yeah. So I was listening to Mayo again and they, they were talking about um, for this Denver game, you know, how a defense understands what the personnel grouping is for an offense, so the, and they break it into numbers, right? So like 11, 22, 21, mm-hmm. those numbers correlate to running backs and wide receivers, I think. I'm not sure which one means which, but I'm hoping you're going to tell us. And then, yeah. and that's kind of coming down from the, from the box to the D coordinator to whatever, um, whatever linebacker is mic'd up for the defense, whoever's calling the plays. And on the other side, you've got an offense. They're saying, okay, they're in this personnel you know, we're going to, we need, we can take advantage of certain things, you know, by doing a, B or C. I bring this up for this game because this was an interesting game plan from the Patriots because you saw a lot of Brady in shotgun and with two backs next to him. And then he would split one out. It was usually James white, but sometimes it was Devlin. Sometimes it was Dion and he'd have them ISO it on a linebacker or, you know, they would go from a two wide receiver, two wide out, two tight end set. And then, all of a sudden there's a back split out and a tight end came back in to help in pass coverage and the personnel group's completely different. So first, what does it mean with these numbers? 11, 22, 21. Is that, is that like a real thing? And then how does that work um, relative to what you're doing with an offense? Yeah, it definitely is a real thing. Those numbers, what it actually means, you said it is backs and tight ends. And from there you decipher how many receivers are in the game. So, so how does that say, work? So when you say um, – so you you first allow the offense to come into the huddle and the the guys in the in the box are relaying that information down. So they, they see the numbers. They see who's who. That's why the NFL only allows you to, as a, from a position standpoint, to have certain numbers within a certain position. Oh. So that you can – so that we can decipher – so the other team can decipher that much more quickly who's who. Ah. And so see, I thought bring, that was a marketing thing. No, 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 no. That's why they. That's why guys like Ocho Cinco and stuff like they fight so hard against that stuff because they don't want to be put in a box. <laughs> so, right. um, okay. so they relay that down to the sideline, and let's just use twenty-two personnel. So two okay. backs, two tight ends, and what you're trying to tell the defense is like, hey, right now they have two true running backs that potentially will be in the game, not necessarily in the backfield, but in the but game somewhere. Yeah, somewhere on the field, and then you have two tight ends as well. 11 personnel, same thing, one back, one tight end. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have one back and one tight end, that must mean you have additional receivers. And so from there, the the safeties and the corners and the back end, they know how many receivers are in the game. So it's more it's more looking like a, a less protective offense and more of a um, – 
uh, passing offense. And so you're trying to decipher all this stuff within, the, you know, the game clock of, of 40 or play clock of 40 seconds. But, yeah, it happens very quickly. But over time, you get to understand and you know 21 personnel, 22 personnel, strong goal line, things of those natures. And going back to what we talked about last week, uh, well, Bill really, really focuses in heavy on the education of football because it still baffles me to this very day why collegiate teams conduct themselves in ways that don't um, transition into the NFL. Like you don't, you rarely see teams um, operating with personnel 22, 21, 11, um, 13, whatever it is. They all, um, they hold up the picture cards with like Wonder Woman or. Yeah, which yeah. I never understood, by the way. I yeah, or a McDonald's. I just don't get sign. it. Yeah, a McDonald's yeah, sign. And it, it's, it's communication too, but it doesn't transition into the NFL. And so when you're talking about what historic, what historically works, personnel, those type of calls we're talking about, that's going to be consistent within the, in the NFL. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so when something happens like 22, two backs, two tight ends, you're think if it's if you're if you're a defense if you're Denver against the Patriots that could change though because those two backs could get split they could bring a tight end right to help out um in pen pass coverage I mean they could change that and so it could go from 22 to 11 am I exactly. right exactly and and and, and it well it's not necessarily that it's 22 to 11 that's what makes the Patriots so dangerous because they're not your traditional personnel to where their running backs are actually receivers. Their yeah. tight ends are actually receivers. Um, to use a more clear example, take Jimmy Graham to where if you hear personnel 21, I wouldn't necessarily look at that as 21. I would look at that as 20, two backs, zero tight ends. I mean, uh, zero tight ends. Jimmy Graham is a receiver. And right. so when he right. lines up, he's rarely trying to block. He, I think he's getting better at it, but he hasn't proved that he's going to be blocking on a on a play in play out basis and so with the patriots because they line their running backs out you know why they'll split those guys inside they'll have guys running in the slot it's very difficult on a defensive side if you're hearing a certain personnel to truly believe that and 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 try to play it a certain way as if they're going to play that 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 personnel in the truest of its form because they're not you're going to see Burkhead line up in the slot position, right. but he's lining up in that slot position as a true receiver on an option route, you know, or arrow route right. or whatever it is. And so, you know, that's where a lot of their success has come to where they can they can really put you in some bad situations and mismatch where if, if you're hearing, you know, 21 personnel, you're bringing out, you know, a 3-4, 4-3 defense run related, and now you have linebackers on these guys. It, and, and not only a linebacker, but man-on-man coverage, it makes it very difficult for the defense. So if, if you've got 11 personnel, you're thinking, okay, they're spread out pretty wide. They're thin in coverage. They're thin in pass protection, rather. Mm-hmm. You may want to take a shot right at, at the quarterback at that point because they're thin. Is that? From, let me ask first, is that accurate at that point? Because I have a second sort of part to this. That, that is, that is okay. accurate. But let's let, you know, take it back on the other side to where, you know, their um, New England's 11 personnel could be um, Lewis lined up at that slot they move him back into the backfield for that okay. pass protection. Well, that's exactly what I was going to get to, which is, and then it's going to be up to Tom to look at that defense and go, he's got to decipher, okay, they're coming. I need to fix the protection. And that's, Correct. is that, and that's when we see Tom sort of being Tom, right? 
That's where when the he, magic happens. That's, I was just going to say that that's <laughs> when he's at his best. He's, it's up to him to take what the coaches have given him and go, all right, now I've got to make my own adjustments. You guys brought in 11 personnel group, but this defense is set up for that, so I'm going to switch things around. Yeah, and it's almost got, a bait. It's a bait. It's a bait okay. tactic to where you, you're, you're literally putting it out there. If you've ever noticed within certain games, say if it's a crucial down, fourth and one, fourth and two, um, a defense will actually allow or an offense will actually allow everybody to get set up just so you can see what it is and say, okay, well, here's what their mind was already thinking. Let's call a timeout. Let's try to game plan around that. Well, the New England Patriots do that on a down-to-down basis. They literally go out there you know, to see what you're going to line up in. And then Tom, uh, Tom, I would say Peyton Manning, of course, um, Aaron Rodgers, your, your higher-level thinking quarterbacks have the full autonomy to rearrange and adjust the entire play within that personnel. And so when you have quarterbacks like that, you know, and that's the reason why they're getting paid the big bucks, because they can take literally what they have on the field from a personnel uh, viewpoint, adjust it to what to whatever the defense is to protect and really execute and maximize or optimize the, the full advantage of the play that they can run within that personnel, whether it be that, a pass or a run. And that's why when I hear opposing coaches in their press conferences before they're playing the Patriots on the conference call, they'll say, you cannot try to trick Tom. So I'm guessing no. if it's if the Patriots are in eleven, you don't want to hot. You may not. You're not going to want to trick him and be like, "We're coming. We're not coming," because he's going to figure that out and he's going to beat you. Play it straight is what usually I hear from these coaches. They say you just yeah. got to play it straight against Tom. Yeah, exactly what I told you last week. Like yeah. you have to be sound. You have to be true in what you're doing. You know, all that jumping around and faking like you're going to blitz. Like, like that's not scaring you know, your higher level quarterbacks and like those guys already have in their mind and they know what you're doing. Um, when, when you talk about, you know, the, the, the best defenses against Tom are the, are the defenses that are physical and that are, are hitting Tom and knocking him down and forcing him to, to get out of that pocket and get out of his comfort zone. But when you're jumping around here, yelling, I mean, you're he just playing, care. yeah, you're just playing into his hand. Right. Okay, two more geeky questions, and then we'll get into Raiders, Patriots, and talk about the Giants, which I know Jeff um, has a lot of questions about. So um, sticking with the geekdom, I often hear Tom do this. I hear a lot of other quarterbacks do it. I guess it's just more pronounced from Brady, where he'll yell, pick a number, you know, 55 is the mic, and he points. Mm -hmm. Okay, I know he's pointing out what they call the mic linebacker. I don't know what the mic linebacker is, and what's the significance of him pointing that out? Uh, So when you say mic... um Whatever, whatever the name is, you know, you're looking at the first initial. So kind of like when you call into, I don't know, the operator or a call line or whatever, and they they can't understand your name, so you got to spell it out. But you spell it out with different words, right? But they they understand the gist of it. Like, okay, elephant is for E, you know, whatever it is, right? Okay, that's that's what he's he's saying to where Mike means middle, and ah. not necessarily the the true or traditional middle linebacker of that team, but that's where they're setting the front from. Meaning that when he's talking to the offensive line and really to the, the whole offense and the running backs as well of, hey, for this play specifically, the middle linebacker is number 52. So whatever we're going to do, we're going to set the front off of 52. So if, if, if 52 is a middle linebacker and the strong side now is the left, the weak side is the right, we're going to block it as such. And so without a middle, you can't really set the left or the right or the or the offensive line more specifically and the running backs don't know what side is strong and what side is weak. That's fairly logical. So, so Mike, <laughs> Mike's referring to the middle linebacker. 
Yep. Are yeah. you saying you're, you're literally if, to break it down in definition? He comes up to the line. Okay, guys, the middle linebacker for this play right. is number fifty-one. <laughs> right. Oh, okay, middle linebacker is fifty-one. That means strong is left, weak is right. Uh, depending on where that, depending on where that middle linebacker is lined up. Yep, depending on Which, where that linebacker lines up. And then, and that's of course what we hear when everybody's got to be on the same page because when he yells 51's the mic," that entire offensive line has to know. Okay, the mic's located here strong is right weak is left so we're all doing this and if somebody's wrong then that screws the play up yeah i mean that 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 call literally activates everything else and that means like, tom has to be right yeah tom has to be right if he's wrong his, his life is in trouble <laughs> <laughs> and and he's he doesn't do that on every play so i'm presuming that he's doing that when when it's not obvious who the middle linebacker is yeah, because you, as as a defensive coordinator, you try to bring in certain guys. So when you have dime packages, which is more specifically geared towards um, passing plays, nickel is kind of a balance between the pass and run. You don't necessarily know, but you have an extra uh, defensive back on the field. You could potentially have the front set off of a defensive back or safety. You know, uh, nickel dime personnel, depending on where they're trying to run the play and and, and what they're trying to what they're trying to do. It doesn't, you know, that it's irrelevant who who it is. It's just how we're trying to set the front from an offensive standpoint. Got it. Interesting. So, last geeky question. A lot of times I'll see Tom, and it's usually on the road, but I've seen him do it in New England a few times. He's at, and it's usually at the line. Sometimes in shotgun, though, he taps he taps both hands on his helmet in the middle of his cadence and his calls. I always presume that's because he he was maybe indicating there's a problem hearing or there's something wrong, but that just seems too simple. So mm-hmm. what is that real? What's going on there? Uh, nothing's wrong. What what you're trying to do is it. So when he taps his head, you you hear the words alert, 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 and what okay. he's what he's indicating to the offense is letting everyone know whatever the hot read was or whatever the audible call is, it's live, it's active, meaning that this this. If if they show us this or if they're already in it, we're going to this play or we're adjusting to this. And so it's just more of just getting everybody or keeping everybody in tune like, yep, it's on, it's on, it's on. So just imagine yourself um, in the huddle and Tom or I don't know, Michael, let's make you the quarterback. Let's make it fun. Let's make I like you the that. Yeah, <laughs> that's just, the I'd be like Flutie. I'm short. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so and I'll, and I'll break it down in, in, in simple talk in terms of where it's like, OK, guys, we're going to run a passing play. But. If they show us a a very um, weak front and they're in a, in a heavy in a heavy pass defense, we're going to change it to a running play, and the word is going to be alert, alert, alert. So and it could be any the, word. Yeah, it can be any word. So when we go to the line, and I say alert, kind of like baseball signals, where the signal is always after the indicator. So you right. you, you you shake the belt and then you and then you yep. wipe your hand on your sleeve yep. or something right. like that. So the, it's not the belt. The belt was the indicator, like, hey, the next the, the next, next call thing. is the is the play itself. And so that alert is letting people know, like, right after this is what I'm what we're gonna run, or right after this, right when I say alert, we're switching over to what I called into the huddle. Got it. And I'm assuming he's doing the hands on the helmet because when Hogan is split wide right on the sideline, he can't hear alert, alert, alert. So the hands no. on the helmet lets everyone who can't hear him know we just you know the the other play is active yeah yeah and that's and that's where you prove your worth as far as uh, your worthiness of being on the new england patriots because you better know what that means otherwise it will get exposed very quickly and you see many of guys um all the time 
you know, with those types yeah. of miscommunication where there, there'll be a hot read or a blitz and the guy's, you know, continually running a go route and he was supposed to cut it off into a slant, you know, quarterback gets ear in the right from the right side and now, you know, uh, ball's turned over. And we yeah, lose. I think Ocho Cinco talked about it extensively that his one year in New England, the reason he didn't come back, he said it was just it for any, he, he meant it as a compliment. He said it was just too difficult. It was too complicated. Um, I think Reggie Wayne said that too. He spent a training camp with New England. Same thing. Yeah, man. I tell people all the time outside of football, grass is, uh, the grass is always green and brown. You know, you, you think you want something until you get into it. And, you know, yeah. when you talk about guys like That's Reggie right. Wayne, who comes from a very, very set offense. I was actually talking about this last week to someone where if you go back and look at the Indianapolis Colts, they rare in, in the era of Harrison Wayne and Manny, like you rarely saw them motioning. You rarely saw them doing anything at the line. You know, they were very static in what they did and they didn't have a lot of plays, but they did them very well. Right. And so it allowed Peyton to really have like Tom full autonomy to change whatever he wanted to at the line of scrimmage. And so when you're coming from that sort of model to now what we talked about last week, you know, you could have a thousand plays on deck and at halftime you're literally getting rid of that entire game plan and shifting into a new one. I mean, that could be very traumatizing for someone who's never experienced that before. Sure. I think it's, that's fascinating stuff. Um, let's talk Patriots Raiders and then we'll get into the giants. Um, two, two quick points here. First is, I, I look at this game, I see Crabtree, I see Cooper, and I think that's who you need to deal with. Um, you're a cornerback. One, how do you deal with them? And two, is that who you need to deal with? Because I know you and I have talked about, um, we, we didn't talk about it on the last podcast, but I think it's in, in the interview, the one-on-one we did in Atlanta that drops on Thanksgiving, by the way, everybody, um, how Bill... It's not always the superstar that Bill takes away. It's the It's the one person that Bill perceives that you take this one person away and everything else falls. The the bomb with the building analogy. One well-placed bomb will take down a whole building. So Exactly. I guess I'll flip the question. Is it Crabtree and Cooper that you have to stop or is there something else? If I if I was a betting man and if I was in Bill Belichick's office or the meeting or whatever, right. I would bet against that comment. It would okay. not be Crabtree. It would not be either one of those guys. It might be Jared Cook. It might be Jerry Cook. I actually yeah. think it is, it'll be Marshawn Lynch because a lot of the time um, Bill starts his conversations off when it comes to uh, a team victory or how we're going to win this game, stopping the run and establishing the run. And so they might go into the game, you know, with a certain thing, and then all of a sudden they have to pass it 50 times or whatever Tom would have to do. But that mentality of starting with the run and, and finishing with the run Especially with the Oakland Raiders, where they're 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 geared their their dynamics is geared towards you know a very talented team, meaning a, right. lot, a lot of speed, a lot of yeah. size, things of that nature. Big playmakers. Yeah, you're gonna have to be very physical and, and do those types of things. So yeah, that 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 been that um, example that I, that we discussed of you know putting that bomb in the perfect place and the whole building collapses. You know to where those superstars on the on the offense. They're not allowed to do. They can't do what they can do normally because the the guy, the lesser guy, is incapable of doing what he normally does, and that's what Bill normally focuses on. I don't know who that guy is. Right. I just know I it's not. I just know. I just know it's not going to be Crabtree or anyone else of star power. Sort of similar to your oh five oh six years with New England when Bill would 
you said consistently want to take away Wes Welker when you played the Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, and the, re- you would, the rest of us were like, yeah, "Who's Wes Welker?" Yeah, I mean, you would, and and at that time, um, I can't remember his name, um, but they had they had a pretty uh, uh, star receiver, uh, guy, uh, Marty Booker. Yeah, uh, those guys. I mean, man, quality quality receivers, but he would never discuss those guys. Like it would always be Wes Welker in the slot, and you know, history has proven that you know Wes Welker had. A, amazing talent of course when he came to new england and stuff but back then we're just like why does he continually focus on this guy but then (laughs) he would show play after play after play of marty booker getting open because wells worker was doing this in the slot he was he was able to do his shake routes he was able to you know cut through the middle of the offense i mean middle of the defense which would allow uh, marty booker to run the slim post from the backside things of that nature so I mean, it was just amazing how he would break that down. And then when I would go into those those defensive meetings with him one-on-one, he would set me up with the question of, all right, Ellis, who do you think we, we should be focusing in on? And every single time I would be wrong because I was focusing on the guy that would normally get the most camera time. <laughs> but it would never be that guy. It would always be the guy who was actually on the backside or who wouldn't necessarily have that many pass catches but was allowing – guys that were more star quality to get open because they were getting open or making plays when uh when they got the ball well that raises an interesting question um when when that would happen in that in that meeting room and you're you're with bill and he asks you the question you you answer incorrectly how does bill handle that does he treat it as a teaching moment or does he kind of give you a give you a little bit you know you know push your buttons a little bit and then teach it like what happens in that dynamic um, it's a little bit of both. So he, he wants to hear what you're thinking. You know, he, he's a very psychological guy, you know, a naval background. Yeah. He, he wants to understand, you know, where's your mind at? Because it really goes into your, your personality really goes into what type of game you play, you know, on the field. Are you a physical guy? Are you a laid back guy? Uh, do you take a lot of risk? Um, do you, do you stay within the, within the defensive game plan? Whatever it is. And so when he, when he's talking to you, it's it's more of a conversation, but then the, the the takeover is when he begins to unveil unveil why he's saying what he's saying, and then the student becomes you know fully in tune with it. And so when he would ask me those questions, you know I would be more kind of gun ho just to impress and to say, well, you know I believe it's this because such and such such and such. And as, as I'm talking, he I can see his face like he's absorbing it. <laughs> But at the same time, he's it's not like, right. right. Yeah, it's not right. This is, no, no, no. And so he would never. It would never be in a condescending way. It, it, okay. You never. Yeah. You never felt as if belittled. You were. Yeah, belittled, or you didn't feel like you were dumber when you left the meeting. You right. just felt. You just felt like you were off target because you literally. You you never saw it that way. I was like, man, like every time I would leave the meeting, I was like, man, I, I just never would think that. And because because he would unveil that to you, you actually gained confidence because he's like, you know what? Because he would show you so many times once he revealed it to you, he would show you just as much on the front end of how many plays that guy was making or, you know, what you're thinking. But on the back end, he would show you when you do it his way or when when you see what he's talking about, it's like, man, that that's really working. And now I can infuse my personality or, or my defensive play into this. Man, I'm going to kill it out there on Sunday. And so you actually <laughs> left you left the you left the, the film room feeling that much more confident. Interesting. Um, okay, last point on New England, and, and this was something I think Ellis that you had touched on um, with me that you sort of wanted to talk about, which was the idea of um, you know what kind of goes on on road trips. And I think this is a good topic. It's a good segue for it because the Patriots go to Mexico City to play the Raiders, so. They went to Denver. They're staying 
in Denver. They're practicing at the Air Force Academy. So they're together mm-hmm. for a week, which is different. Normally, the team will go back to its home city. Um, so I guess take us inside um, when you're on the road like that or, you know, when you're on a road trip in general. You know, what goes on on that plane? What it, people always, the media at least, are, and fans talk about oh, it's a team bonding experience. And I know the 14 Patriots talked about when they traveled, they had to do a long West Coast trip. They had sort of some time together and it helped. But um, what's that like on the inside? You know, is it a bonding experience? What goes on on those airplanes? You know, bring bring us inside, I guess. Yeah, the it, it's it's interesting because people ask me, you know, well, do you miss it? Do you miss it? And, you know, the crowd cheering and all those things, you know, those those are obvious things. But the intangibles sure. are, you know, the bus rides um, when you when you're when you're traveling, like you said, and the jokes that are happening, you know, guys on the plane goofing off, whatever it is, you know, after after a great win, you know, somebody snuck a bottle on the on, uh, you know, on the plane or they bought a couple <laughs> of bottles. And so now if it's that three hour flight back from San Diego, you know, by the time everybody gets off the plane, you know, bloodshot, red eyes. Right. And we, we've had an amazing time on the plane. Right. And, and, and without Bill knowing, I'm assuming. Yeah. Without Bill knowing. And, and, the, and there's no women on the plane. So it's like, man, like what are like how much right. fun can you have? I feel like a bunch of drunken sailors. <laughs> right. So we're uh, but the dynamics of the trip is so you, you first get to the plane or first get on the buses. And with New England, there was a suit. There was a uh, a suit and tie uh, mandatory law implemented within the team. You would have you you could actually tell the background of a lot of guys for the, the type of suits they wore. We had a guy on the team. I won't say his name because I don't want to embarrass him. Maybe I can guess. We used to call <laughs> the guy Skittles because some of his suits would be so loud <laughs> and the colors would be so ridiculous. In the middle of the winter, he's wearing a banana yellow suit. <laughs> and you know you you see that and it's like uh-huh. man like you have to be from you know but home but home alabama <laughs> to, to do some of the things you're doing but i'm talking about wearing it with confidence you talk about guys that are confident in what they do you know the yellow suits with the gators on all kind of stuff right I mean, we, it's like a pimp convention so you get on the uh, you get on the you get on the bus you know with these suits on and then you get to the plane and, you know, we don't go through normal uh, plane check, which had made me very, very jaded to the normal flights. <laughs> to after fly that commercial? Because, yeah, to fly commercial. <laughs> you just get very jaded to like, dude, I don't have to do all this. Like, it's annoying. <laughs> and so when we, when we get to the tarmac, you see, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Gatorade buckets that keep that whole Gatorade, like in the grocery stores or whatever. Sure. You know, those buckets, uh, maybe four or five of them, but just imagine four or five of those buckets filled with nothing but candy. And like Halloween candy, like you're really? seeing full full size Snickers, full size Reese's Pieces, full wow. size M and M peanut and chocolate. I mean the works. And so you got guys with duffel bags who are just hoarding candy in their bags to eat that night or take home to their kids or whatever it is. That's before you get on the plane. When you actually get on the plane, you're getting I think two or three options of full course meals, steaks, Alfredo, things of that nature. I actually personally, I ate worse during the season than I did out of season. Yeah, that seems like, sort of the antithesis of training. Yeah, exactly. So you train all this time in the off season only to, to do worse <laughs> during the regular season when you need to be at yeah. optimal performance. But, you know, nevertheless, we get on there. And so the way that the plane breaks down is you have your front, which is um, the owner's, the 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 staff uh, that's in the middle, coaching staff, uh, personnel, um, coaching personnel, whatever it is, and then in the very back of the plane, 
that's where all the rowdiness is. You have the players and then you have like one graduate assistant or one guy that's babysitting back there. And the guy that's babysitting back there, he's more in awe that he's amongst the superstars of the team or whatever than really trying to police us. Like, So we pretty much got him wrapped around our pinky. I was going to say, like, can the graduate assistant or, or the, the low-level assistant really police? Ultimately. Yeah, I mean, he's listen. At the end of the day, if it really gets out of hand, and I'll get into that in a second, his job is just to run up there and, and yell Bill. for help. Yeah, yeah <laughs> run up there and yell for help. And so, so long as nothing happens beyond those curtains, you know, everything's cool on the back of the plane. When we first got on, I remember uh, we got back there, and there was a couple offensive linemen, and immediately they go to the back of the plane in the right hand corner. We want to. Uh, a three-tier plane, so you had the left side, the middle, and then you had the right, so two aisles. The two offensive linemen go to the back of the plane on the right-hand side and then in the middle, and they just start to weigh down on the seats. And I was like, what in the world are they doing? And all of a sudden, you just hear a loud snap. They break the seats on on the plane (laughs) and turn them into tabletops for card games. And so you got the on on the, the plane. On a New England Patriots team plane. Yeah, on the team plane. On the team plane. Wow. Break break the seats down. Oh, man. And now the, the card games are going. In the very far aisle, if you're facing towards the back of the plane, you see guys, you know, rolling dice, shooting dice or whatever. And then there's a couple other card games going in the front, a couple of dominoes games. But amongst this, what you're not seeing is transactions happening. Guys bring <laughs> on the plane thousands. at least yeah. thousands, ten thousands of dollars. Yeah. Guys go to the bank. You know, and their pockets are filled with ten thousand, fifteen, twenty thousand sometimes. And so you can potentially have within a two hour flight a a switch of hands of at least, you know, a hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. And it's just part of it. It's just it's just the game, is what keeps our edge, you know. And and I'm not saying this in a very arrogant way. And I understand if, if you're a normal uh fan or a person that's listening to this, you know, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. But once again, you know, it sounds great when you're not involved. It sounds great when you haven't experienced it. And so this is a normal day-to-day end thing that goes on within the NFL. And just just the life, you know, it's the life. It's, it's nothing that you're flaunting. It's whatever, you know, gambling is a, is a part of the NFL, and it, and it will continually be a part of it. So those things are going on. Guys are on the plane, you know, saying crazy stuff. They're watching, you know, whatever they're watching on their on their uh, back then. The portable DVD players now, it's, you know, iPads and phone. I feel so old now. And it was what seven years ago, and and you're right. having that going on. You get to the you get to the uh, you get to your destination, whatever. Get off the plane, onto the buses. You're getting into the hotels, and then you know you have you know the the wives that are meeting you there, your family. Um, kids, friends, whatever it is, but just a lot is going on. And keep in mind, this is all within, you know, a 36 hour time span. And so you got all these distractions, all this, you know, chatter going on. You got family that you got to get tickets for. Um, you might have just lost $15,000. So you're really distracted. <laughs> you're trying to figure <laughs> out you, you, all you can think about is getting back on the plane to go back home to get that money back. <laughs> Cause that, that, that happens a lot too, where you end up making a lot of money, but you end up giving it all right back on the other plane ride and, you know, doing it all over again. And so those moments outside of the losing aspect of, of, of the gambling side of stuff that I really enjoyed because, you know, to add icing onto the cake when you actually won the game and, and 
you know, you're getting to enjoy these types of things amongst your brethren. It, it really is fun, you know, and, and the dynamics of that and, you know, within the locker room and how, how those clicks and everything break down to where, you know, you have that one guy who's a special teamer and, you know, you can't understand how he's still on the team. But, you know, when a, when a fight breaks out or, you know, somebody is doing wrong at home and, and the wife has called them uh, to fix it, like he's a, he's the glue. He's the glue that keeps the guy together right. and keeps everything tamed. And, you know, I think that's what's happening right now. And we can get into a little bit more of that of, you know, the Odell Beckham situation and what's really going up there. Yeah, well, let's let's segue into that and, and talk a little bit um, about the situation with the New York Giants. Jeff, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, and I hate to bring us all down. I love these stories on the plane. <laughs> I'd rather now stay on the. Let's get. To I'd press. rather stay on the plane. I'd rather stay on the plane than talk about the Giants. But you know, um, anyway, I, I'm a big big New York guy, and uh, um, it's been a rough year for me, baseball and, and football with my Mets. But talking about the Giants, you know. And I want to—I really want to hear your take on this, Alice. I, I came into the season with high hopes. Uh, mm-hmm. The Giants were eleven and five last year, playoff team, and they come back this year with you know pretty much the same team. Actually, they went out and they, they drafted a good tight end, uh, Ingram, and they bring in Brandon Marshall from the Jets. And I'm everyone I know, including myself, we're very excited for the season. We think we're gonna we're gonna win the NFC East. We're better than Dallas, and uh, we're pumped up. So. The season starts, and we know what's going on. We know what's happened. It's a one and eight team, and I'm like, wow. You know, I'm trying to pinpoint in my mind what I think has gone wrong with the team. I know Mike and I have spoken about it. And we we have our differences. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at personally what I think what happened is. Well, last year they had a really good defense. I think I think that might have been uh, you know the the strong force for the for the Giants, and it may have shadowed or kind of hidden some weaknesses on the team that really wasn't addressed. But I think this year, because maybe the D is not as strong, we're seeing some of those weaknesses, like an offensive line that they didn't really change from last year, but I think had weaknesses, a running game that, I mean, I worried about the running game last year. This year, it just didn't, they didn't do anything about it. So it kind of, they stood pat there. And then their quarterback, who I've been a big Eli fan, but he looks to me, Slower, he looks uh, to be a little bit towards the towards the end of what was a great career. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to come up come up with reasons why this team, with such high hopes, has fallen so flat. And um, you know, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, what what you think might be? I know there's situations with with Beckham and 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 the head coach and how maybe the coach has lost control of the team and maybe it started last year with Odell and some of the things that he he did, but. Uh, Maybe I would just like, like to hear what you think to think what has gone on with this team. Is there, is there any hope for them? Do they need a major overhaul or, or what, what's happened to the, to my New York Giants this and, year? And just sure. for, for context, if anyone's listening to this for the first time, cause I know we have a lot of new listeners. Let me just add. So Jeff and I have a little bit different viewpoint on this. I actually think the answer is, um, I'm hoping I'm right. I guess we're going to find out from Ellis here shortly. I think that this all started from, and I don't think it's anything else. I think this all started with the boat trip that that um, OBJ and his teammates took to Miami before that playoff game, and then he did not have a good game in Green Bay, and then I think it it basically fell apart. And, and if you go back to our old episodes, and Jeff can verify this, I talked about this over the summer when Odell didn't show up for voluntary OTAs, and then he didn't tweet this, but he retweeted it, and it was something to the effect of coach coach wants me to show up i'll be there when it's mandatory so he called out his coach on twitter 
And he said, I'm just not doing this. I'm just not going to do it. I'm only going to do the things that you force me to do. He's the star player. He's supposed to be a leader in some way, shape, or form. And McAdoo didn't do a damn thing about it. Nothing. And and I think from that point on, and I said this to Jeff, this is a huge, huge problem. Um, and, and I think that that is the sole reason for the issue. So, Ellis, you're the guy with the experience. Jeff and I, are, are we're just the fans. Um, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, well, well, I guess to start it off, paper champs are amazing, aren't they? When you right. look great on paper. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of people, athletes included, team teammates included, buy into that sauce and then realize that there's no secret in that sauce and <laughs> that you actually have to go out there and do the work. And so when you see these magazines that come out, you know, um, on NFL Network, ESPN, the power rankings, whatever it is, you know, you can't buy into that stuff because every season is its own season. You know, a, a devastating historical number within the NFL is that there's a 75 percent. It might be even higher now. 75 percent turnover rate every year in the NFL, meaning three out of four guys are either traded um, drafted, cut, injured, whatever it is, you know, three out of four guys are changing. And so within that dynamic, I would take into the mindset, you know, your body, your health, whatever it is to where whatever situation or event took place in the season prior to, it cannot be reflected into the new season thinking that those same outcomes are going to happen. Meaning that, okay, we were able to win this game last year, how come we're not as close as we were or how come we're not as close in this game as we were last year? Right. And when you start to have that mindset within a team, you really start to hang your head low because things aren't clicking like they used to. You're trying to get that old thing back. That's the old phrase, trying to get that old thing back. With the Giants, Michael, from the argument that you guys uh, were talking about last week and things, I don't necessarily think that it was the beginning of the end i actually thought i actually think what you what that event was was an indicator of what was already going on that oh, that something okay. like that yeah something like that that's not that's not the first time that's happened okay i think i didn't, I didn't think of it that way but good what, point what i what i do what i do to further that that notion is that i because it's like anything else. You don't gain confidence through one thing. You gain confidence through repetition and being able to do it over and over again. If it, it had become so normal, I believe, to them or so common that they got very lazy in their approach. Say, let's just tweet it out. Or let's do this. Let's do that. Hey, we're in the playoffs now. I'm me. And so that confidence allowed you into a world that shouldn't have been seen, Not con- not condemning it. Because let's let's be honest, there's there's many of guys that that party during the playoffs or do whatever. I mean, you hear back in the day, guys uh, with the Yankees or whatever, sure, you know, right, powerhouse right. teams, Michael Jordan, those guys, you know, yeah. going out night on the town before the championship game. But I think with things, Odell, it was because it was on Instagram and he was with Bieber and he was flaunting it, you know, to the world, flaunting it yeah. exactly, flaunting it to the world to where you just create distractions that shouldn't be there. You know, whether it's wrong or right, I'm not, I don't want to get into it, but you're just bringing yeah. in criticism that shouldn't be there. And not only that, but like I said last week, you're giving people a, a, a strength of word that has no bearing on, on anything that you do. But because social media is what it is, it's going to weigh heavily on. I don't care who you are. You hear, you can read. 
And so when you're seeing these things, when you're hearing these things, that stuff is working in the back of your head. And so when you're trying to get through a, a huge playoff game of the season, you're just giving guys more ammo to where, whether or not that was the uh, the situation or the, the reason why, guys are going to lean on that and say, oh, he dropped that ball because he was with Bieber. Oh, right. he dropped that ball because he was swimming with the Dolphins that day. <laughs> Whatever it was, you know. And so it's just something that it's just unnecessary. Bill always used to talk about that, you know, don't bring in unnecessary distraction because there's already so much distraction out there. With with the Giants in, in whole, there's definitely a hierarchy situation. You look at any successful company, any successful organization, any successful sports team, the one thing you see tried and true is a respect for hierarchy. I don't care how much money that guy makes. I don't care what type of title he has. Whatever his title, role, or position is, he is slotted into that caste system. I'll give you an example. Referees. Referees are probably the oldest people within the sporting world, meaning that you know those guys on the field, they're probably the oldest of all the individuals on the field, male or female, whatever. But when that guy blows that, or guy or gal blows that whistle, or pulls that flag, he has the most respect and the most power on that field. And more than not, he's respected for that. So clear in point, when Marshawn Litz touched the referee, that is automatic suspension. So when you talk about something like that, there's a respect of hierarchy there, a respect for power. You might make more money than McAdoo. You might have more Nike commercials. You might have more kid followers. You might have more followers in general. But when you do not have respect for the head coach on any level, whether it's internally, especially externally, it is going to cause so much dissension in the ranks because it basically projects to everyone else, I don't have to do it if he doesn't have to do it. So you're talking about the tweet, right? The The retweet. I'm talking about the tweet. Just just overall. Yeah. Because like I said, I I don't want to focus in on an event per se. No, I I understand. But the theme, I mean. The theme of it. I don't have to go. It's not mandatory. That was exactly. And so, and once again, that is an indicator. That is not the end all to be all. That tweet did not just randomly come from anywhere. There has been other indicators as of such that have shown you that I'm not going to listen to McAdoo. You know, that was just more, more of the ones that are revealing, but I'm pretty sure if you got behind those doors, McAdoo has been undercut numerous of times prior to this. You know, I would, I would bank a dollar on that. And and this one just so happened spilled out into the the meeting. Odell, I guess what you're saying is Odell didn't wake up that morning and be like, you know what? I'm just going to blast the coach today. He kind of, he had to feel empowered to do that. Yeah, there's history behind that, and yeah. and I would dare to say that that power that you're talking about it it, it comes from well, this is my guy, and I'm going to protect him. And so Odell has either gotten word of that, or he feels that confidence behind him with within the either you know upper management within the organization, uh, a majority of the team, whatever it is, he's leaning on the strength of that confidence from others. It isn't just him standing alone because if you're standing alone doing that, you're going to be ostracized as a cancer. You know, you're the guy that's causing disruptions. Case in point, Ajay for the Dolphins. Yeah. Like, he was a disruption in in his own isolated box, and they got rid of him. And no one on that team seemed to care, the players at least. Didn't blink an eye. And they're still losing. Yeah, (laughs) they are. (laughs) Yeah, and they're still losing. So that tells you he was an isolated situation. We we saw that with Bill when when, when he traded uh, Jamie Collins midseason last year. Best defensive player, gone. 
And yeah, and that, and that's the thing with Bill. He tolerates none of that. I remember, um, I believe it was Adelius. He was yeah, late. Big to, problem. He was late, yeah, late to a meeting or something. Uh, Moss, I believe he sent a couple guys home. You yeah, know, I remember and, that. And they tried to blame it on the weather or whatever, but he and that's the thing. And I'm saying like it was there a is snowstorm. No one, yeah, it was a snow. I remember that. Listen, I don't care if it was a firestorm. Yeah. I don't care what it was. Like you're not higher than the team, and so if I can make it, if a majority of the team can make it, I understand. Hey, you know, cry it to the moon, but this, these are the rules. They're in place for a reason, and they will be amplified. I mean, they will be implemented, and they will be handed out as such. So I, I, I don't disagree with the with what's going on with Odell. And starting last year, and and I just um, is that the reason you think the a prime reason that they're one and eight, or is 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 it a uh, or did did that start it and then it kind of infected the the rest of the team and the any respect they had for McAdoo is gone and and everyone's performance is just being degraded because of that, or is do they have personnel issues that need to be addressed? I I you know Mike and I have gone back and forth. I just I, I just couldn't believe that that the actions of one guy maybe have caused this team with a lot of talent to fall as far as they've fallen. So I, no. I you know, yeah, that's, maybe that's there's other things. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't. And, and, and honestly, guys, I can't gravitate to, to one of you guys's rhyme or reason or the other, because I, I look at it from a holistic point of view where similar to what I said last week, uh, Michael, when we were talking about a recipe. You know, to wear a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's not one thing. It it, it really isn't. It isn't one thing. I th- some things are bigger than others. Right. Just like a recipe, you're going to put in more sugar uh, in the cake than you would say salt or whatever it is. But it's just not it. Whatever it is, it's not allowing you to focus on football and and, and really go in week in and week out. I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, you have three days to get prepared for a team because Monday is reviewing from the, from the previous game. Tuesday, from what I understand, is still the mandatory day off. So Wednesday is install. Thursday, you're implementing. Friday, you're walking through that and, and really bringing it all together. And then Saturday, you have a true walkthrough either on the practice field or the away field. But really just, you know, three, two solid days. And so you're talking about trying to squeeze football knowledge and all this stuff amongst all these other distractions all these other human emotions all these other human egos that are coming in and so when you talk about the personnel the personnel may be great and to your point jeff to where you know these individuals once again are great by themselves but as a team collectively they stink because they're so distracted with everything else and so the personnel is is one thing but you're looking at them and you're saying man like how can they not put it together well by definition of the team they can't function as a team right because you know let's let's be real everybody cannot possibly be on odell beckham jr's side everybody cannot possibly be on mcadoo's side there might people there might be people in there that don't care about either or the one thing that should be that should be very much cared about is as an individual well i have a job tomorrow and so if, if they're not able to perform on an individual basis, they're going to get cut as such. But you can't, and it, and it sounds funny to say it, you can't perform as an individual if the ball can't get to you, if the team can't block or the offensive line can't block, yep. if you know that wide receiver doesn't run his route, if the defensive line doesn't put pressure on to make the cornerback uh, cover that much uh, easy, to cover that much easier in the back end. So 
as much as you want to say the talent on the team is there, if you're not able to function as a team, nothing's going to work. Right. Right. That's a great. I mean, that's great. It shows the team concept of uh, of sport. You know, people look at statistics, people look at individual performances. And uh, but in the end, it's a team game. And this, this is probably a prime example of what's going on with, in, with the Giants because they do have talent. Yeah, uh, it's there. Have, the talent have, is there. The talent's there. It's similar to last year, but they've gone a complete 180. And, it, and I guess it has to do with the attitude. And I'm not saying who or, or how it began or whatever, but it seems to have uh, swept through the whole team, through the locker room. And it seems to be a huge gulf between the players and the, and, and the coaches or the players among themselves. Is this something that could be corrected? Can it be corrected in the same season, or is it something that that we have to wait till the, this mess of a season ends and then they got to address it in the off season? Um, I mean, if if you're starting to make examples within the season, meaning you're cutting guys, you're benching guys, and, and you're holding true to it, yeah. it, it could be a wake up call. I think personally, the season is pretty much done. I mean, you got guys out there and they spotlighted it on a Sunday uh, Sunday night football. Uh, football night in America. You know, you have Janoris Jenkins out there. Yeah. And I mean, oh, pathetic. Wow. Pathetic. wow. I, yeah. I, I couldn't believe some of the missed tackles he had against the 49ers. Yeah. It was embarrassing. So, yeah. So you're telling me if they're eight and one, he's not making that tackle. Exactly. You're, you're right. telling me if they're, you know, they're seven and two, he's not making that tackle. They're <laughs> right. in the playoff hunt. Right. Like there's no way like that. Like we call that a business decision. He made a business decision. Yeah. And as such, consequently, you know, the, <laughs> I, I would think, the New York Giants would make a business decision off of that. I, I think so. Yeah. And, and you know, should. put him down or something and then make that example. But when you don't have that, that control or that hierarchy in place or you don't or there's not a, uh, I guess, a vibe or a feeling in the room that the hierarchy is in place, those things will continue on. And then you're looking at that as a defensive player and say, well, well hell, if he's going to do that, then I'm going to do such and such. You know, I'm going to get out of my lane. Or I'm going to I'm going to go for me. I'm going to go for broke, whatever it is, you know, but. When these things are starting to happen, you know, it's going to continually you know, snowball because everybody's able to view that. And without consequences put in place for that, it's only going to get worse. It, it sounds like a domino effect because at least early in the season, they seem to be more competitive. But, man, the last few weeks, you could see it. You could see that it's spreading like wildfire where it's, it's not just one player, but it's various players not performing up to their capabilities and it is just completely snowballed like yeah the the, the the tape never lies and, and it's, it's so strangely funny because i'm pretty sure the approach how they how they go about their day-to-day work all those things nothing's really changed meaning that the perspective the only thing that's changed is how you view it to where it's like, okay, at the beginning of the season, yep, we're getting in, we're doing install, we're doing offense, we're doing defense. You know, we got to go to these individual meetings, all this. To now, you're looking at it like, oh, here we go. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to go to the individual meetings. Well, this sucks. I don't like the way he talks. Uh, man, does he always have to be like that in the meeting? And why is McAdoo always staring at the wall like that? Like, whatever it is, it's just perspective. Yeah. Nothing's yeah. really changed externally, but perspective has changed. And, like, now I hate this. Yeah, I think, That's, and I think one and eight will do that. Oh you. yeah, oh yeah. Listen, man, the, the NFL season is long as already. Like, forget when we went eighteen and zero, that was a long season, and we won every game except the last one. So I know when you're on a losing team, that feels like eternity. Right. I mean, it can't it can't be fun going into that into that facility, you know, when you're staring at another seven games, and there's no point. I mean, not that there's no yeah, point, but you can't. Well, you're not going to win. 
You're not going to yeah, go to the professional playoffs. player. Yeah, as a professional player, two two things are going through your mind. I would assume, and I haven't been. Thank thank goodness, I was never in that position. But if I was, one and eight, don't get hurt. Make sure right. you get your check. There don't you get go. hurt and make sure you get that check. <laughs> All right. I think we think that's a good note to uh, to yep. close it out on. Um, obviously, many thanks to Ellis for being with us again. Like, this is our second episode with our weekly segment. Um, we will not have a regular show next week because it's Thanksgiving. So first, happy Thanksgiving, gentlemen, happy Thanksgiving. to you guys and you guys. your families. Ha- happy of Thanksgiving and, and happy Friendsgiving. Friendsgiving. That's right. Um, and I know for me, I'm most thankful that we have Ellis appearing on our show weekly. But everybody, next week we're going to drop two new episodes. One is a one-on-one with myself and Ellis where we do a very deep dissection of the 2007 Patriots and um, go sort of inside the walls of Gillette Stadium a little bit. I just think it's – I've listened to it probably six times now because I've had to edit it, and it's um, it's really fascinating stuff. I've given it a preview to a few people. It's really interesting. If you like football at all, whether you love New England, hate New England, you want to listen to this because it's a really interesting story about a historical team and, and some historical moments. The second um, episode that's going to drop is Ellis and his business partner, Michael Dean. Michael is a fascinating individual. They run a company called Preve Society, and you're going to get to hear all about Preve, what they're doing and how they're changing the concierge corporate executive athlete space and their views on entrepreneurship and athletics, that sort of cross-section, um, and how Michael you know, had this game plan for after his career in the NFL. So some great stuff for you guys to listen to over the holidays. Remember, you can get updates on the show on Instagram. Find me at Melkins1. Twitter at Melkins31175. We're on Facebook at JM Sports Podcast. Remember, if you like what you hear, everyone, on Apple Podcasts, please hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, and you can always email us, jmsportspodcast at gmail.com. We welcome anything you think we're doing great, but also we want your feedback on what we're doing um, that's not so great so we can change it. We do listen to everybody, and I respond to every email. So, uh, Jeff, Ellis, thank you both. Um, anything Thanks, guys. anything else, gentlemen, before we close it out? Thank you, guys. Uh, Ellis, again, appreciate your your uh, your presence on our show, and I wish both you guys and everyone out there happy Thanksgiving. We'll catch you on the backside of that. Happy yeah, Thanksgiving. very humble. Yeah, very humbled to be here, guys. Uh, Thank you. Very appreciative. And uh, it's entertaining for me as well. Like I said, this is almost therapy for me. Um, <laughs> Great. To, to talk about these things. But, yeah, on social media, you can follow me as well, Ellis underscore Hobbs underscore the number three on Instagram, at Ellis Hobbs on Twitter. And, you know, I guess what? Look at my day-to-day life, which is, yeah. you know, pretty basic these days. <laughs> well, and but Ellis will be tweeting about our show and um, sharing it on Instagram as well. So make sure you guys Absolutely. check all that out. Absolutely. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Have a great week. We will come back with brand new shows in two weeks. Enjoy your football next Thursday. Take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks.